Jeremiah 28, verses 1 through 17, is where the text will be coming from this morning as we continue on in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, the prophet, in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true. And being brought to this place from Babylon, the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles, yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, You have broken wooden bars but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord in that same year, in the seventh month. The prophet Hananiah died. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. You can be seated. And I thank you for coming, and I welcome you again. I second everything that Butch said to you earlier. You are very welcome to be here. Thank you for coming to worship with us at Christ Fellowship this morning. And now let me pray that he blesses all of us through the word, as he's already blessed us through the singing. Father, I pray that you would please help us as we look into your word this morning. Your precious, holy, inspired, infallible word. Lord, it is objective, real truth. And I pray, Lord, that your truth would do its work within us, Lord, as we listen to it rightly, with the help of your Holy Spirit, submitting to it rightly, believing it rightly. Give us grace, Lord, to not only listen well, 
but to love it and to live it. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the message this morning is How to Spot False Prophets. How to Spot False Prophets. This is good for us because I don't believe any of us in this room would make the argument that false prophets don't exist. We know they exist. We know they're out there. Some are easier to spot than others. It's not so much those that we are worried about, most of us. Some of us can see the ones on TV and say, oh yeah, he's definitely one of the bad guys. Those are, those, he, those are easy to spot. What about the ones that are less easy to spot? Those are the ones that we really need to be worried about because those are the ones that can actually influence us a bit better because they're not just so blatantly obvious. So how do we spot them? Well, thank the Lord, any answer that we need is found in the Word of God. No, I chose my words carefully. Any answer we need is found in the Word of God. I'm not saying any answer you ever want ever is found in the Word of God. We don't always get our questions answered. Not all of them, but every answer we need is found in the Word of God. And praise God for that. Jeremiah chapter 28 provides us with what we need to spot false prophets. And we're going to pick up on those as we go along here. But I want you to notice there's kind of a showdown between two prophets. Hananiah and Jeremiah. They're going head to head in this text. And they have differing messages. Hananiah begins to speak. And notice in verse 1, it says he spoke to me in the house of the Lord. So he is actually looking at Jeremiah while he's saying these things. I wonder why that is. Well, we're going to find out why that is. But it's interesting that he looks at Jeremiah because they're opponents, as it were. And he says, this is what God told me. Because in the chapter prior to this, Jeremiah is there prophesying to people. Prophesying a message that if you weren't here last week, that the people of Israel, and peoples really of all the lands, have to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He's this mighty force, this huge tank that's coming across the land, conquering lands. And we learned that he's God's tank, if you want to call it that. He's God's hammer to execute judgment on all these people. So Jeremiah's message is, you have to submit to him. You have to submit to him. Like this yoke I'm wearing, you have to come under him as if he's a yoke that you have to wear, or else you're going to die. This is my plan. This is part of your judgment. So he's been prophesying. Jeremiah's been prophesying. And now another prophet pipes up and says, I'm going to say something too. And I'm going to say it. Thus says the Lord. I can play this game too. God also speaks to me, Jeremiah. You're saying God speaks to you. Yahweh speaks to you. Well, I'm going to speak to you also. The Lord of hosts. Some translations translate that. The Lord Almighty or God Almighty. And let's see what Hananiah's message is. Verse 2. Because Jeremiah is wearing this physical yoke on his neck while he's in the temple, while he's in the, the house of the Lord saying these things. He's wearing a physical wooden yoke that God told him to 
make and wear while he's prophesying these things. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. See, this is the opposite of Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah's message was, put on this yoke. You've got to put on the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Come under his authority. He's going to conquer you, or he's going to kill you. Hananiah says, you know, actually, actually it's not that way at all. God's broken that yoke. And look, verse 3, within two years I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house. What this means is these vessels have been taken away. You need to understand that Nebuchadnezzar attacked in phases. It wasn't just one big swoop in, kill everyone, snatch all the good stuff, and then leave. No, he did it in phases. So the second phase of Nebuchadnezzar coming in was he took some of those vessels of the Lord's house, precious vessels of worship, gold, silver, and the like, took them away. Of course, this was detrimental to the people of Israel. One thing that stirred this on, we don't get this from Scripture, but we, we get this from history, secular history. A rebellion had risen up against Nebuchadnezzar at this time. And so more than likely, sparked on by that rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, this prophet grabs that and says, ah, ah, you know what? More than, yeah, the, the Lord told me this, this rebellion is going to happen with our things coming back to us within two years. Even It's very specific with this time frame, isn't he? He's going to bring it all back. God's going to bring it back. And look at verse 4. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. That was one of the kings that got captured and taken away. I'm going to bring him back too. And all the exiles of Judah who went to Babylon declares the Lord. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So what about, what about chapter 27, Jeremiah 27, verses 16 through 18? This is something that we didn't cover last week, but this was part of the message from last week. Look at this, verses 16 through 18. Then I spoke to the priest and to all these people, saying, Thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you, saying... Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should the city become a desolation? If they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts that the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. If they're really prophets, they should be praying that nothing worse happens, he says. They should be praying that the vessels that are left shouldn't be taken away. And if they're saying that they're going to be returned shortly, all these vessels that have been taken, he says, it's a lie. Well, then right after that in our chapter, what's Hananiah jump up and say? The vessels are coming back within two years. The first way to spot a false prophet, the first way to spot a false prophet is examine his message. 
Examine his message. If it differs from the word of God, he's a false prophet. Plain and simple. Clear. And you say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's... Everybody knows that, Cohen. Everybody knows that. Examine his message. I'm telling you right now, no, not everybody knows that. One of the main reasons is because we don't know the Word of God as good as we should, as well as we should. Forgive me, English teachers, that was bad grammar. We don't know it as well as we should. Why don't we know it as well as we should? Well, the same reason why you don't know Russian, or some of us know German in here better than others. It's just because you haven't studied it. I think we can all agree, I think we can all agree in this room, we would do well to study the Word of God more. We do well to study it better. Even your pastor admits that. He would do well to study it more and study it better. You know, I was once a part of, when I first got saved, anybody that was holding up a Bible and saying things about it, I thought was one of the good guys. So I was watching this person on TV holding a Bible, saying things about it, and I thought, this person's one of the good guys. And so I was listening to this person for a long time, for over a year. Well, then guess what? This popular person was going to be coming close by and having an event in Atlanta. So Amy and I got in the car. Before we had children, we could just get in the car and go places back then. We just got in the car and went somewhere because we felt like it, because we wanted to. Oh, those days are long gone. But I'm glad I've got something in place of that, which is all these wonderful children. So we went to this event. And at this event, which was a big church service, there was a, it was a mighty Pentecostal movement, now that I know things better. It's this mighty Pentecostal movement. Oh, goodness. At one point in the service, people were speaking in tongues and running around the aisles and falling on the floor and howling like animals. And I thought, this doesn't feel right, but I'm a baby Christian, and I don't know much about the Bible. So, Lord, if, if this is how it's supposed to be, then please convince me that this is right, because I'm going to tell you, this feels really weird and not worshipful. And people are just speaking in tongues and like, thousands all at once, and I thought, this is weird. I wasn't doing it because I didn't feel like I should even though the person on stage was really pushing us, say whatever comes out, just, just, just say whatever comes out. And I thought, I'm not feeling it. Well, then, thank the Lord, I just happened to be in 1 Corinthians soon after that. And I just happened to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I just happened to hear 1 Corinthians 14, 27, which says, I'm saying here because it was an audio Bible, which says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be one or two at the most, and let each one do it in turn. But if there is no interpreter present, let him remain silent. And I thought, well, no wonder it felt weird, because it was wrong. See, I would have known it was wrong immediately had I known the Bible even better, but I was a baby Christian and I was learning the Bible. So now if that were to happen, guess what? I would say, that's wrong. Why? Because I know the proper message. I know the Word of God better than I did before. And so that's why I say, examine his message and see if it lines up with the real 
message. You see, Hananiah's message was completely contradictory to Jeremiah's message. God's man. God's approved man. So that's the first way we spot a false prophet. If you're going to spot him well and spot him quickly and have it be a giant red flag and not some kind of fuzzy, maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know, saturate yourself with the Word of God. Let's look now at verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah. So now Jeremiah says, I have a response for you. Hananiah shuts up and Jeremiah gets to talk. And he does this in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. Because that's where Hananiah chose to give his message. Verse 6, And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord make his words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, within two years like you prophesied. Because he just said in chapter 27, if anybody says it's going to happen soon, that person's a liar. So Jeremiah says, amen, I want the vessels and the people to come back. But God's already told me it's going to be 70 years. So I want it to happen. Amen, may it be so. I want the vessels and the people to come back. Yet now hear this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. And he says this, the prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. See, that's one thing that they're hating Jeremiah for, is he's saying, an army's coming to invade you. And if the army doesn't kill you, the famine's going to kill you. And if the famine doesn't kill you, pestilence is going to kill you. We saw this was part of his prophecy from last week. So what is, what's Jeremiah saying? Why did he bring that up? He's basically saying, I'm not doing anything new. You guys all hate my guts because I'm not saying peace and prosperity and everything's going to be fine. He's saying, the prophets have done this for a long time. Prophets have done this way before me. I'm not doing anything strange or different, really. It's just you just don't like what I'm saying. And then in verse 9, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, like you're doing, and when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent that prophet. That's the real test. Is what that prophet prophesying, does it actually come true? Then you know it's a real prophet. Because if it doesn't come true, well then it's a false, he's a false prophet very clear. And the Lord actually makes that clear in Deuteronomy in the, in the past. He basically said, hey, if somebody prophesies and it doesn't come to pass, he's a, false, he's a false prophet. And guess what? Get him out of there. Now, would that were the case to this day? I wish everyone on TV who's ever prophesied something and then it didn't happen, I wish they could get out of there. I wish they could be gone forever. But it doesn't happen that way. I remember before the past election, hearing somebody on TV speaking in the name of the Lord and all that saying, Donald Trump will win this election. Well, he didn't win this last election, did he? But I bet you that person's probably still got a ministry. And I heard another very popular false prophet blow away COVID. Mm-hmm. 
he, he, he blew it away, he said. He said, I blow it on, you know, I blow it away. And well, last I checked, COVID's still here. And guess what? He's still here too. And he's got a huge ministry and millions of dollars. So I wish this test was actually put against everybody who prophesied in the name of the Lord. Because then they'd all be gone. I wish that was the case as well. So that's what Jeremiah is bringing up. He's reminding them, hey, you, know, you want another real test? If what you prophesy doesn't come true, you're a false prophet. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10. Well, then this happens rather in verse 10. Hananiah has now got to double down on his message because now he's just been opposed by a prophet. So now he's got to do something desperate here. He's got to really do something theatrical like false prophets usually love to do. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. Like in this picture, it would look something like this. He, he grabs this yoke that God told Jeremiah to wear while he was prophesying this message. And Hananiah says, oh yeah, oh yeah, well watch this. And Hananiah broke this yoke into pieces. And then he says this, thus says the Lord. Again, he's, he's saying, God is saying this through me. Listen up. Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. Jeremiah the prophet went his way, as we see in that picture. He's walking away from this. Hananiah doubles down. And he says, nope, nope, nope. You brought a visual? I can do visuals too. Watch this. And he grabs it and he breaks it. And he says, God's going to break this yoke within two years. This rebellion that's just risen up against Nebuchadnezzar recently, ah, oh, it's going to gain power. It's going to gain veracity. Ooh, you guys should listen to me. You guys should listen to me. Because what were the people in that audience probably thinking? They were probably thinking, yeah, yes, we like that. Nebuchadnezzar's the bad guy. And we know us Jews, we're the good guys. And we, yes, yes, yes. We like Hananiah. He's telling us what we want to hear. So that's the second point of how you can spot a false prophet. Point number two would be examine his motives. The first one is examine his message. Does it line up with the word of God? With the word of God or not. And then number two, examine his motives. Did Hananiah have a reason to have motives to, to give a, a message that the people wanted to hear? Well, of course, popularity. The king wanted to hear this too. Remember last week when we learned about King Ahab, probably the worst, definitely the most wicked king that Israel ever had has all these prophets telling him whether or not he should go to war or not. And all the prophets are saying, yes, go to war. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. Hundreds of them, actually. Hundreds of them. And then remember Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. He was from the southern tribes of Judah. He says, is there any other prophet we could come? Just, I mean, maybe just another one we could get to give us some advice to, just like you might go to a doctor and get 
some counsel and then say, you know, I want some other opinions from other doctors as well. You know, we just get everybody to see what they say. Remember King Ahab said, yeah, there, there is this other prophet, but I don't like him because he always says bad things against me. Remember that? And guess which prophet was actually speaking for the Lord? <laughs> the one who was saying King Ahab is evil. Do you know why he was saying that? Because King Ahab was evil. He was speaking truth. But all the other prophets were saying, King Ahab, oh, there's never been anyone else like you to grace the earth. You're going to do great things. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You're going to win. You're going to win, King. So there you go. I've done my part. Would you like me to come next week and tell you some more things you want to hear? Of course they had motives. Anybody who's rich and powerful, if you tell them what they want to hear, guess what? You get to keep your job. He's going to keep calling on you. He's going to bless you. He's going to give you gifts, shower you with things, because guess what? You are telling him what he wants to hear. Just like someone might use flattery when a rich, wealthy powerful person comes around because if I make this guy like me, oh, he just might be nice to me. He just might give me some, you know, gifts perhaps. So examine their motives. Are there motives for them to say things that the people might want to hear? You know, if you, if you say things that people want to hear, guess what? You can build big churches. And guess what happens if you build big churches? You get more tithers. And guess what happens when you get more tithers? You get more money. I love it when Ray Comfort is, films himself sharing the gospel with people out on the streets. One thing he says over and over again is he says, examine my motives here. He said, I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't get any. I mean, think about my motives in telling you this message. I care about your soul. And it's true, because when you examine his motives, you realize, yeah, he's not, he's not getting paid to be out there. It's actually costing him money to be out there. He's giving them stuff. Examine my motives. It's very good. So verse 12, sometime after. We don't know how long, but sometime after this, things had cooled down between Jeremiah and Hananiah. That day is just sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Who knows? A week? Two weeks? We don't know. But God says this, Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, You've broken wooden bars, but you've made in their place bars of iron. What does he mean by that? You've broken the wooden bars off my neck, Hananiah, but you have made in their place bars of iron, a yoke of iron. I'll tell you what he means by that. Hananiah's deceptive message, listen, had further condemned his hearers into their judgment because now they're less likely to submit to God's prophetic message through Jeremiah. Jeremiah is saying, submit to Nebuchadnezzar when he comes. Submit to him. Let him come through. Let him capture you. Go live in the land under his authority. Do that and you will live because you're too far gone by this point for judgment not to come. It's coming, so this is how you'll not die. Submit to it. Live, live in his land, under his rule, and you'll live. 
And all the people were saying, nope, 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 nope. That's not the way. So anytime a false prophet speaks something contrary to the word of God and getting people to either chase after their own lusts or their own pleasures or their own fancies, whatever it is, those people are now further deceived and further condemned because now they're even further away from submitting to the truth than they would have been otherwise. (laughs) And so that's what he's saying to Hananiah. He's saying, you broke that yoke of wood, but you know what you actually have now put on the people? The yoke of iron. You can't break that. That's what he's saying. You have condemned these people. Because they might have repented. They might have submitted. They might have believed, but you further sealed their fate through your wicked message. And that's what awaits all false prophets is a more harsh condemnation. Because this is serious business. What I'm doing, it's serious business. That's why James says in the letter of James in the New Testament, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I'm going to be held more accountable than those of you who have never stood up and said, thus says the Lord. I'm going to be held more accountable on the day of judgment. Because I'm teaching all of you. And guess what? If I teach all of you wrong, how many people are in this room? Roughly 30. Let's say I teach all of you something. Each one of you, I teach you something wrong, false, untrue, a heresy. And you each go teach two or three or four other people. And they go teach two or three or four other people. I've just now condemned so many people because I said something wrong. Serious business. Standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord. That's why you have to stick so close to this word. So close. And we won't go wrong. The best message I'll ever preach ever is if I just stand up here and read the Bible. That'll be the most pure one I've ever preached. Some of you are saying, we'd rather you do that. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Verse 14, you made them wear a bar of iron now, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all those nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given him every beast of the field. Basically, I've made him so authoritative It's as if even the animals are under his rule too. And now look at verse 15. Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. You've made this people trust in a lie. You lied to them. Now, I've got to ask this question, and maybe you're thinking this too, about false prophets. Do they all know they're false? Does every false prophet know he's a false prophet or she is a false prophet? Is Hananiah's intent, was his intent really to to deceive? Did he know he was spreading lies? Did he? Do all of them? Well, we can't know for sure. But we have clues. We have clues. What do I mean? Look at 2 Peter 2. 
We're going to go to 2 Peter now. This is in the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2. It'll also be on the screen behind me. I want to read to you verses 1 through 16 because because Peter is on this topic of false prophets. And this is hundreds of years later after Jeremiah's false prophets during his day. And guess what? We have false prophets in our day. They're never going away. They're never going away until Jesus comes back. So that's why we need the word of God because they're always going to be here until Jesus comes back. But false prophets also arose among the people. Now he's talking about people from the Old Testament because in the context he's talking about prophets of old speaking. Just as there will be false prophets among you, Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, as we're going to see with Hananiah. His was pretty swift as well. I sort of wish that it was all swift with all of them. And many will follow their, look, sensuality. Prophet's message usually leads to some sort of fleshly desire being fulfilled. You need to know that. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed 100%. They make truth look bad. They make Jesus look bad. That's one reason why we loathe false prophets so much, because they give a wrong message, which then pollutes the real message in people's eyes. Verse 3, and in their greed, uh uh-oh, they're greedy? Yes, they are. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world and the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented um, in his righteous soul over their deeds, then, he's saying, if he did this, if he did this, if he did this, if he did this, then, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despise authority. Now, who's in the context here? Who are the bad guys in the context that he's talking about? False prophets. What's he saying that they're actually like? They actually indulge in in the lust of their flesh, in defiling passions. This is what they actually do. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. They don't tremble when they should when it comes to handling holy things. Whereas angels, the greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, these false prophets, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable to sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed 
accused children, forsaking the right way and going astray, like Balaam, he says. Why did I cover that long section? To show you that false prophets have sinful, sensual desires behind the facade of being righteous and speaking for the Lord. You scratch down past that makeup, you take that mask off, you know what you find? A wicked, sinful person. And I don't just mean a person who struggles with sin and then hates it and repents of it, like all believers, okay? Let's be honest. We all struggle with sin to some degree. Even the most righteous in this room has to repent daily, especially this man up here speaking to you now. I'm not talking about that. Struggling with sin, oh, hating it, being broken over it, saying, why, why am I like that? Father, forgive me, help me. I don't want to be that way. I don't like it. Please forgive me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about blatant sinfulness, wickedness, vile, horrible, repulsive lifestyles. That's what I'm talking about. And I promise you, look at me, look at me. I promise you, I promise you, by the authority of the word of God, all false prophets are like that. They put up a good show, but if you dig deep, if you, if you really knew that person, really, when the doors are closed and nobody else is around, cameras aren't on, microphones aren't on, that's a wicked individual, I promise you. It couldn't be that way otherwise. It couldn't be that way otherwise that you could willfully, purposefully lie in the name of the Lord and not be horribly wicked. It's not possible, according to the word of God. Also, what about Jesus Christ? You say, well, that's Peter. Well, first of all, he's inspired by the Lord. This is inspired scripture. What about Jesus himself? What did Jesus say about false prophets? Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. Beware of false prophets. Okay, tell us more about them, Jesus. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Uh Uh-oh, so Jesus says on the outside they're going to look pretty good, but on the inside they're different than that. You will recognize them. How, Jesus? Tell us how we're going to recognize them. By their fruits. I covered this a little bit last week on a different topic, but, and he says this, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or or figs from thistles? No, of course not. You don't go to weeds to get nice fruit. You don't say, you know, I want to to pick some apples or some grapes. I'll check the dandelions first and see if they've produced any. No. You don't go to weeds to get good stuff that's good for your soul. For every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. False prophets are going to bear bad fruit in their life. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Final judgment of false prophets. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Tell me more, Jesus. What about the end? You mentioned them being thrown into fire. Tell me about that. Okay, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Say what? Not everybody who calls you Lord is going to heaven? Tell me more. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's how you know a false prophet. And that's how you know a false convert, too. What's their life look like? Are they doing the will of God? Not in perfection, but in direction. Are they? 
Or is it so contrary? On that day, what day? The last day, the day of judgment that he mentioned earlier when they were cast into the fire. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, watch this. Did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, what? He doesn't say, depart from me. He categorizes it. Why should they depart from him? Why are they having to depart from him? Because of this last phrase, you workers of lawlessness. They were lawless. They didn't follow the law or the word of God. They were wicked, evil sinful because that's what sin is anything that's contrary to the law of god right so point number three examine their life point number one examine their message point number two examine their motives point number three examine their life what is their life like is it lawless is it wicked is it sensual is it greedy These are really helpful for us. Don't you see how we just get all this out of the text? So back to our text. He says, you've prophesied falsehoods. You've made the people trust in a lie, and we're almost done here. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. See, that's what all false prophecy is ultimately. Rebellion against the Lord. I almost titled the message that this morning, Rebellion Against the Lord. This is the great, this is the, this is a great definition of false prophecy, rebellion against the Lord. And so then, let's see what happens to Hananiah in verse 17. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. That same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. If you might remember how our text started out in that same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah in the fifth month. And so now he says in the same year, in the seventh month. So this is just two months later. And Hananiah is dead. I wish God's judgment was that swift against false prophets. I wish it was. So again, I'm not wishing death upon anyone, but I am saying I don't like false prophets because they make Jesus look bad. And speaking of Jesus, here's interesting. Here's something interesting about Jesus. He was the greatest prophet, right? I'm going to end with this. Jesus is the greatest prophet. He can never speak a falsehood ever, never be tempted to ever. He is the highest, greatest prophet. But do you know what? In speaking all that wonderful truth, do you know what actually came upon him in the end? The punishment as if he were a false prophet and the worst of them all. You see, Jesus died in your place to take the sin that you deserve. He died a death worse than Hananiah. He suffered all the wrath of God for every sin of every person who would ever believe, ever. See, Hananiah is in hell suffering for his own sins. Jesus Christ suffered 
in a manner of hours, he drank the cup of God's wrath that would have taken an eternity to pour out on each one of us individually. And he drank it all in a manner of hours. We do not understand the wrath that Jesus took upon himself for our sake. He is your great Savior and the greatest of all prophets who's only going to tell you the truth. So when he says at the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 1, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Those are the first recorded words we have of Jesus in the book of Mark. He means it. He wants you to repent and turn from your sins. He's the greatest prophet. He wants you to submit to God's will as these people were to submit to God's will, which was Nebuchadnezzar. God's will for us is that we repent and turn from our sin and believe on the only one who's ever been given to save us from our sins, the greatest prophet of all. You can trust him because look at his message. It's pure. Look at his motives. They're pure. And look at his life. It's pure. So when we do the opposite that we would do to false prophets and apply all that to Jesus, what do we find? Oh, the most shining, greatest, perfect prophet there ever could be. But then I want you to apply those two to everyone speaking on behalf of the Lord, even to your pastor. Examine my message. Examine my motives. And I invite you to examine my life please, because I don't ever want to fall into their trap. Father, thank you for this word. It is powerful, and it's very clear, and I pray that you would use it to guide all your sheep further and further into greater and greater truth. Lord, I pray that you would preserve them from the wicked way. Lord, make sure that we all are only listening to people that proclaim the word of God in its pure form, rightly dividing the word of truth, letting scripture interpret scripture, not our fancies and not our lusts and not our greed. Lord, give us eyes to see who are your people and what are your words. And we thank you that we have your word in full in the word of God. Because of Jesus Christ, it's in his name that I pray. Amen.